following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, good morning. Welcome. Um, uh, I, I, I just want to say again, um, to remind you, uh, Christmas Eve service will be here uh, and online, 6.30 Christmas Eve. Um, I don't know if you have a like a favorite moment of the year, but my favorite moment of the year is the moment after Christmas Eve service is finished and I get home and sit down and... Ugh, uh, it's a wonderful, and my family is all there, and this year probably be a little different, but that's always my favorite, uh, my favorite time of the year, because it feels like uh, the boxes are checked, it's too late, if you didn't check them, uh, time is up, um, but it's just a wonderful time. So anyway, invite you all to join us to Christmas Eve at 6.30 here. So we re- Turning to our study in the Gospel of Mark this morning, we're going to look at chapter 12, verses 38 through 44, and that's page 849 in the Pew Bibles, if that would be helpful to both of you. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. All right. All right. I know they're out there with no Pew Bibles. So, um, Our text for this morning is the conclusion of chapter 12 of the Gospel of Mark, and it's also the conclusion of Jesus' public ministry in the temple. We've been spending a lot of time in the temple uh, in confrontations with different uh, religious leaders, and this is kind of the end of it. Um, And it's no mystery, I think, why Jesus concludes his time in the temple, in the center of all things religious, uh, in the Jewish national center of worship, I think it's no mystery that he ends this time with with these statements regarding true devotion to God and what that looks like. It's also it's also no coincidence, at least in my opinion, that we're dealing with this particular idea when the attention of our culture right now is on the manger and the marketplace focused on the Savior and also on Santa. Um, So let's look at our text this morning, and we'll dive in. Mark 12, start at 38. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the, off- to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. 
Let's pray. Father, I pray as we turn to your word that your spirit would read us and you would apply the truth of your word to our hearts this morning, making and molding us to be more like Jesus, our Savior. We pray this for your name and glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we have um, two apparent points made by Jesus to his disciples and the crowd gathered with them, which is actually only one point, as every good sermon is. First, Jesus starts with the scribes. Beware of the scribes. Uh, now, first of all, who are the scribes? Is the scribes a separate group of people? Um, the scribes are actually a group within a group. The scribes are within the group of the Pharisees. Um, and uh, you can actually get this picture filled out a lot more in Matthew's account of this event. Um, he goes into much more depth. Um, but that's just to give you an idea who the scribes are. Beware of the scribes. Now, he's not warning his followers to keep a nightlight on unless a scribe jump out from under the bed at night and bite their toes while they're sleeping. But it wouldn't hurt. You never know. What is... <laughs> that was sorry. That was dumb. Um, okay. What he's really warning is his, uh, warning his followers not to emulate their behavior. And again, in Matthew's account, he says, do what they say, not what they do. That's where that expression comes from. Listen to what they say because they truly teach the word of God. They sit in the Moses seat. They have they have the place of uh, interpreting the scripture, the Old Testament scripture, and teaching people how to live. And they did. So listen to what they say, but don't follow their way of living because they didn't live according to their teaching. Um, and I, I would also echo what Miss Aaron said earlier about the interpreting one class. Uh, if you you audit that class or whatever, if you want to join into that class, it won't take very long before the vocabulary starts to sound familiar because that's where I want to skew. <laughs> and that's a, a lot of the things that make us as a church family the way that we are and how why we do things and certain things that we say or don't say. He said a lot of that is found in in that. So you're welcome to, to um, join that. I would really encourage you to do that. So that you can learn to interpret the word better. Not that you can interpret it now. But. Uh, so anyway, getting back to these interpreters of the word. And Jesus warning not to emulate their behavior. What characterized the behavior of the scribes? Well, um, I can think of three things. Uh, pride, greed, and hypocrisy. And that's what Jesus covers here. Don't be fooled. That's not three sermon points. Just just three things to notice. The scribes like to walk around in long robes, regal robes, with long fringes, right? Dressing in such a way as brought attention to them as important people and religious leaders. 
they took the instruction of Deuteronomy 6, 8, where it says, uh, bind these commands on your hands and uh, as frontlets between your eyes. They took this instruction to a whole new level um, to put those commandments on their hands and their eyes. In Matthew's account of this teaching in Matthew 23, quotes Jesus as saying, they like to make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. I, that's a funny picture in my mind. Um, a phylactery, which you all know what a phylactery is, right? Do you have them at Walmart? You can, no, Amazon? No. Just, so, a phylactery is uh, the words of Deuteronomy 6 on like a leather strap. And they would uh, wrap the leather strap on their left arm and around their head. Uh, and you can still see Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem do this uh, and around the world still do this. And that's a phylactery. And if you make it broad, you can cover up your whole arm and your whole head with this big thing. And everybody can see it. You know, a piece of yarn could do the same thing to remind you of the commandments of God. But it's for you to see. Right? So... All of these, I, I, I don't know what pictures this conjures up in your mind, but I can't help but think of the Pope and the cardinals and the, and the Catholic priests that wear these great big outfits so everybody knows they're the religious guy. They're the one in charge, right? This is such a close parallel to that idea. What does our outward adornment have to do with uh, our Religiousness, our closeness to God, zero, absolutely nothing. Um, in fact, in this case, it's going just the opposite. All of these outward adornments, these flowing white robes and long fringes and broad phylacteries, was just to make sure that people recognize them as important. Um, Frank Zappa, a great theologian, called it a Religion is costumery, and that's really what it is. It's a costume so that people will see that you're a scribe, right? And you're on a higher plane than everybody else. And what is this? It's pride, right? It's a function of pride. Look at me. The dress to look important. They love the greetings of honor and the distinction that they received around town. Oh, yes, hello, Rabbi. Yes, greetings, teacher. Greetings, Master. All right? Everybody likes that sort of thing, don't you? I don't. Ugh. John Calvin wrote, The scribes carried about with them the commandments of God more magnificently inscribed on their garments, and in this boasting there was displayed an offensive ambition. They were not dressed this way to bring attention to God, but to bring attention to themselves. They always sat in the seats of honor at the feast and in the synagogue. Not like in the church now where it seems the best seats are all the way in the back. <laughs> they want to sit up front so everybody can see them. These people sit in the front here. They're only sitting here because I asked them to. So somebody would take up that seat. That, see? I'm not joking. They are very important, yeah. But it's not from their ambition that they're sitting there, right? 
these these fellows wanted to sit up front so everybody could see them and that uh, they deserve to be at the head table because of their elevated status, right? When you go to a wedding reception, you don't ha- they wouldn't have to look for their table number on the board. They knew where it was up in the front, right, where everybody could see them. And in the synagogues, they would sit up front up here. I'm going to burn my hand. Up on the other side, on the platform, looking back at the people. On the other side of the chest that hold the Torah scrolls, looking back at the congregation, and everybody get to see them sitting up there. Now, there's, you see these little benches over here. We call them deacon benches, right? Traditionally, they sit up on the platform so that the pastor and the elders, the deacons or whatever, can sit up front while the preaching is happening. And you notice we don't do that. There's a good reason, because that's foolish and a function of pride. You probably never wondered about that. So I'm answering questions no one's asking. This, yeah, this is this is the reason. This passage is not just because there's no room. I mean, where are you going to put them? I guess right here on the edge so they can stare back at you. Maybe for next week. We'll try that out. I don't think so. It's not just because there isn't any room up there. It's because of this passage. We don't do that. Beware of the scribes. Don't be like them because their lives are marked by pride. Well, it's not only pride, unfortunately, for them, but also greed. Verse 40 says, they devour widows' houses. Now, this is not uh, clearly not Cookie Monster in the gingerbread house village uh, devouring houses. Thank you. I don't know what I was thinking writing all this stuff down. This is not funny. I hadn't eaten for a while, I think. These supposed religious leaders, men of influence, would use their influence and their ability to sway the opinions of people based on guilt. Uh, which is a strong motivator in the church. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. They would use that influence to swindle poor widows from their uh, houses and lands and money in the name of devotion to God. Now, again, this old practice, and not gone, unfortunately, gets used a great deal. People motivating other people by guilt, through guilt, Uh, out of their uh, resources, income, time, treasure, whatever, in the name of devotion to God. That's not right. When you give, it's an act of worship. That's between you and God. I never want to know. I don't get to see the books where uh, Kenny, the treasurer, sees who gave what. I never want that information because that has nothing to do with me. Right? It's nothing to do with the elders. It's about people's devotion to God. We don't want to get involved. Because of this, don't want to do that. They exploited the generosity of those with limited means to feather their own nests. Uh, to be a scribe is not an occupation. It wasn't a trade. There was no salary for being a scribe. They had to have a trade to provide for their own needs. 
and many of them applied the trade of swindling the vulnerable out of their resources, out of their own living and property, convincing them they were serving God by serving them. It's very troubling. And unfortunately, still, not just buried in history. It's alive and well. And the third thing, greed, pride, and hypocrisy are the marks of the scribes. Verse 40 concludes with uh, Jesus' words, and for a pretense, make long prayers. Um, It's been said that the veil of hypocrisy is a transparent covering. The prayers of these hypocrites was nothing more than a religious show to entertain and impress the people. They chose to exalt themselves among men rather than enjoy the approval of God. A pretense, in case uh, your vocabulary does not include this word, is uh, pretend. It's right there. Uh, They're pretending when they make these long prayers. It's fake. It's false. But people see how spiritual they are because that guy's been praying for 45 minutes here and he's not even close to the end. When will he stop? Right? And uh, snoring's not necessarily praying in the spirit either. Now, I have to ask you this question. You think about these men that Jesus is confronting here and warning people about who elevate themselves in the sight of men rather than enjoy the approval of God. Do you think they're the first ones to display this attitude and this behavior? No. There's a proper name for someone who did this first. It's Satan. It's the exact same behavior. He exalted himself rather than enjoy the approval of God. He sought to exalt himself only to be brought low and cast out, to be cast out of heaven and condemned. This is the behavior that the scribes were emulating. They weren't following God. They are following Satan. And when we do this, it's exactly the same. And this is the exact opposite of what Jesus did. He was exalted, but humbled himself. He was in the very form of God, but didn't consider that something to be grasped, but humbled himself, made himself a servant, a human, and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And not just to show how humble he was, so he could earn a plaque that says humblest, right? He did it for us, for our sin. Beware the scribes. Don't be deceived by them. Don't imitate their conduct. Just as they were not the first to act this way, they're certainly not the last. This is the carrot that dangles in front of every preacher, every teacher, every leader, every person of influence in the church. It's like a worm on a hook. It's a trap that has captured and destroyed the lives of so many that many 
that may have started out sincere, but the allure of the bright lights and all the attention deceived them. And they chose lives of pride and greed and hypocrisy in the name of the church and destroyed lives in the process. I pray for protection from that for you and for me, for our elders and teachers and leaders. In the name of Christ. So Mark goes on and presents the other side of the coin, no pun intended, in verses 41 and 44. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. This area where Jesus is now, where he sat down for some people watching. You remember doing that at the mall? Remember those <laughs> when we used to go out in public? Uh, this area is an area in the temple called the Court of Women. Uh, the the most out, outermost court is the Court of Gentiles, and the next one in is the Court of Women. Right? Everybody was allowed in there, but women couldn't go any further in to the temple than that area. It's just the way it was. Um, and this is where the treasury was. And um, the offering box mentioned here is actually 12 different boxes, or 12 or 13 different boxes where people could make free will offerings. Um, and unlike our offering box stuck on the back wall, this was a little different uh, in that um, these boxes, instead of a, a slot to stuff your your dollar bill, or your checks or whatever, in the top of the box, there's like a big metal trumpet-shaped thing, like a funnel, on the top of the box. Now, you also remember the currency at that time was not paper, nor PayPal, uh, but coins, metal coins. So when you put your coins into this metal trumpet, or maybe more accurately, a funnel, it made a noise. Right? So when you put in a lot of coins, you make a lot of noise. And maybe you could make it make a little more noise. So look at all of this. Bucket loads of coins. I'm putting into this thing. Everybody hear that? Ting, ting, ting. And they go. Now, Jesus observed many people putting their offerings in the offering box. I'm not saying everybody was doing this. Make as much noise as possible so people can see. Um, but I think uh, you'll notice, I hope, that he doesn't condemn the rich people putting in large sums. He doesn't condemn them for being rich. Okay? There's no, there's no judgment there. It's just an observation. Rich people putting in large sums, which is fine. Um, he doesn't condemn them for being rich. He doesn't condemn them for the size of their offerings either. Instead, Jesus chose to showcase the opposite attitude and behavior of the scribes in the poor widow. And the poor widow comes along and puts in her two small copper coins. These coins were called leptas and that equaled one sixty-fourth of a denarius, which uh, was about a day's wage for a laborer, is, is what we've been told. So one, she puts in Two sixty-fourths 
of a day's wage. One of those coins would have bought a loaf of bread. That's about it. Verse 43. He called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now here we see the opposite of the scribes. Instead of pride and greed and hypocrisy, like the scribes, this poor widow displayed humility and sincerity and service. So I guess if you think those are sermon notes, we're up to six instead of one. These are just sub points. But it's not the amount that got Jesus' attention. It was the intent. And this is best illustrated by um, Alistair Begg's fable of the chicken and the pig. You're all familiar with the fable of the chicken and the pig, right? So I don't need to describe it to you. So you get the point? (laughs) Chicken and a pig decide to go into business together. Uh, And the pig asked the chicken, so what sort of business shall we go into? And the chicken says, well, uh, serving breakfast, obviously. We're going to go into the bacon and eggs industry. And the pig pig says, wait a minute. Bacon and eggs? That business only means contribution for you. For me, it means sacrifice. Pigs are made of bacon. Just just to clarify that, wow, we are, this is, this is getting a stinker grade. I read it right. Chicken, pig. Yeah. 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 The widow's, the widow's offering was made in humility. After all, these two leptas would hardly make any noise going into that trumpet at all. Her offering showed her sincerity, her true devotion to God, because uh, that she gave all she had to live on. And one of those leptas would have only bought her a loaf of bread, but she chose to give them both. Chose to give them both, all that she had. But the poor widow's offering is also an example of service. These offering boxes that were out there, were not to collect the temple tax. That's what funded the temple. That's what funded the Levites. was the annual temple tax required of every Jewish man. Um, That was due annually. And her two leptas wouldn't have covered that anyway. In fact, uh, as far as the temple tax was concerned, you weren't allowed to give any less than two leptas, even though that's not the total amount of the tax. This is not that. These offering boxes were free will offering boxes. They were not required. It was a free will offering for service to the temple. She didn't have to give her two coins. She could have kept them, had two loaves of bread. These two small coins, all the widow had to live on, were given freely as an act of service, as an act of worship. 
The rich gave out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And in that way, she followed the way of Christ, the way of humility and sincerity and service. The scribes chose differently. In their pride and greed and hypocrisy, they chose to exalt themselves. These are the guys that make the most noise, putting their offerings in. They chose to exalt themselves before men, but the poor widow, in her humility, sincerity, and service, enjoyed the approval of God. I don't think the instruction here is to clean out your bank account, because that's what real devotion to God looks like. The difference between the rich and the poor widow uh, is not the amount, but the intent. It didn't cost the rich as much to put in their large sums. They gave out of their abundance. They wouldn't miss it. This poor widow certainly would when her stomach growled. Those two leftists would have solved that but she chose differently. I think that we should try to be more like her. That's the point of this sermon. Let's be more like her, and so be more like Jesus, the ultimate humble, sincere servant who gave his life as a ransom for us all. One point easy to remember. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your instruction. Lord, I do pray that you would protect us from pride and greed and hypocrisy. I thank you, Lord, that the veil of hypocrisy is a transparent covering because we're not fooling anyone. And we shouldn't think that we can. Father, I pray that you would deliver us. We all struggle with pride in different ways. We all struggle with greed in different ways and hypocrisy in different ways. I pray, Lord, that we would say what we mean and live what we say. That we wouldn't pretend to be one way in certain company and another way in different company. May our uh, devotion to Christ be just as evident the other six days of the week as they are on Sunday morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would inspire us to live lives of humble, sincere service. That our lives would be given over to you. Those two leptas that the poor widow gave belonged to you before she got them. They belonged to you while she had them. And they belonged to you long after she gave them. All of our resources belong to you. I pray in our uh, humble, sincere service that we would recognize that is true for us and we would willing, willingly submit our goods and resources, our time and our talents for your glory, that your kingdom may expand 
and that your name may be praised among the nations. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.